Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. A listener production. Hey, I'm Pro Surfer and mental health advocate Cooper Chapman, and this is Good Humans. I want to start this episode a little bit differently. I want to say thank you to everybody who's tuned in so far. It means the absolute world to me to know that these conversations I've been having with my amazing guests have been having a real good impact and really positive impact on the community around me. So thank you to everyone who's tuned in. If you want to support us, make sure you like, subscribe and leave a review because your feedback means the world to me and can really help us get this podcast to as many people who need to hear it. I've also just created a Good Humans podcast on Instagram, so make sure you check that out. We're going to be putting updates on there. We're also going to be doing a few really cool giveaways. So yeah, thanks heaps to everyone who's listened and hopefully we can continue to bring you some amazing conversations. All right, on to today's episode. Imagine being a kid growing up in a country that's main focus is on one sport. Everyone's obsessed with it, including you. It's produced the most successful sporting team in history. The world looks at them as a benchmark to beat. And all you want to do is play for them when you grow up. In this chat, I speak to Anton Leonard Brown, who got his dream to play for the rugby union team, the New Zealand All Blacks. I chat to Anton about what kind of pressure you create in your own mind to live up to this dream. And how does he keep a level head when the expectations of a whole nation is weighing on your shoulders, especially when you lose? Anton, thanks for coming on Good Humans Podcast. Thanks, Cooper. Thanks, brother. Um, geez, it's a hell of an intro. You know how to pump up my tyres. Oh, come on. You've got, you got to blow them off a little bit. Just get you, get you all pumped to be on the potty. Yeah. Me and um, Anton met last year actually in Hawaii. We were, I was over there for a surf comp and a few of the All Blacks boys were um, – at Turtle Bay playing some golf and Billy Stammond, who's been a previous guest on this podcast and a great friend of mine, is representing New Zealand in the Olympics next year in surfing and he invited the All Blacks over and all of us boys were like, no way, like I'm a bit of a sucker for meeting high profile, not high profile, but highly successful sports people because I love picking their brains and seeing how awesome they are. And when you guys came over, it was like Christmas. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and it's so cool how across sports we can just connect and everyone has so much in common. It's so nice to meet great people like yourself. Yeah, and to be fair, like that was probably the highlight of my trip was meeting at the, the Volcom house and meeting all you surfing lads. And I love doing that as well. You know, we were a few deep, but we talked about, um, I guess, how we go about um, things in different ways. You you for surfing and, and me for rugby. But, you know, I'm a big believer that a lot of success um, aligns. You know, we, we share similar values and uh, we go through uh, pressures in different ways, but it's, it's all pressure at the same time. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm stoked to have you on here. I'm really excited to get to know you a bit better through yeah, this conversation. So I want to rewind. I obviously haven't known you for a long time. And talk me through sort of growing up, family life when you're a kid and sort of that development into that rugby career that you have now. Yeah, I guess in, in New Zealand and it's 
this is probably where it's a little bit different than Aussie um, because you've got so many sports over there. But in New Zealand growing up, rugby sort of everything as a Kiwi kid. Um, and when I was four years old, that's when my dad sort of dragged me down to the, the rugby club. Or he didn't drag me down because I was so excited to go and play. Um, and I started playing at four years old um, in bare feet. Um, and then I guess I just grew my love of, love of the game from there. Um, you know, went to pretty good high school, Christchurch boys, and then, yeah, I think, you know, just slowly developed. Um, and here I am now, um, a dream come true. I'm an all-black and I play professional rugby full-time. Yeah, it's such a such a special thing. And like you said, coming from a country that's so well-known for rugby union and the All Blacks are the best sports team of all time to be involved in that is amazing and we're going to get into that a little bit later but what, at what stage did you know rugby union was going to be your passion and that was something that you wanted to do for a living? Sure I sort of I sort of put all my eggs into one basket um, I loved sport and I guess you know all through school um, that's what I wanted to do um, and looking back on it now you know I guess the wise thing to say would probably be, you know, make sure you, you study. So if it falls through, uh, you have something to fall back on. But um, at the time, I just loved sport. And I didn't I didn't know if I was going to be a professional rugby player, but that's all I dreamed of and that's all I sort of worked towards. Yeah, it's so cool. I love those stories of people. And I've had a few other guests on my podcast that have been – It's all, it almost works 50-50, half are all eggs in one basket and half are – Oh, I had a kind of a few options, but then I just fell in love and I was really talented at it. So it's it's cool to hear your story. So you went into Super Rugby at 18 years old. Was that straight out of high school? Um, well, it, it sort of was in, in a way, but it wasn't. So my last game of high school, I was a year young. So I finished when I was 17. Um, I dislocated my shoulder in that last game. And I actually took a year off rugby. Well, I didn't take a year off, but I couldn't play for a year. So 213, I was pretty much just training and, and rehabbing and stuff like that. And how sort of an opportunity come come about for Super was because I missed that year off, the Chiefs were like, oh, we'll take you in the wider training group. We'll speed up your, your progress. But don't worry, you won't play. Um, we know you haven't played since high school. Um, and, you know... They sort of shot themselves in the foot a little bit because every man and his dog went down and and I was left. Um, and here I was uh, debuting at 18 years old uh, on the wing, which was a, a great experience. Um, but I didn't play. That was my first game back since high school a year and a half early. So earlier, so it was a, a, I guess it was a big step um, from what I was used to. Yeah, that's so special. I didn't know that. What was it like? What was it like running under the pitch that first time? What kind of feelings did you go through? Was there? A, I'm guessing there was a lot of nerves, but it must have made you excited to get back on the field in such a huge stage. Probably the biggest game you've ever played was coming back after probably one of your worst injuries. Yeah, there was a lot of nerves, um, but also excitement. Um, I guess at the time I had a lot of good people around me. Um, you, you probably won't know these boys because. You don't follow a lot of rugby, but like Tim Nono Williams, um, Liam Messam, and we had Wayne Smith and Dave Rennie as coaches, and they sort of helped me get through those moments um, and, and gave me comfort. So I was hugely um, excited, but obviously at the same time um, nervous. Yeah, coming into a team being so young, that transition from schoolboys rugby to being probably the best in your team growing up into the bigger league and the big boys 
Was that difficult? Yeah, for sure. Um, sort of my, I guess my ego and my expectations, you know, was was to be the best or, or one of the best every game. Um, and that's how, that's all I knew. Um, I was, I guess, I was fortunate enough through high school, whatever sport I played, I normally was one of the best and, you know, I don't want to sound cocky or anything, but that's how it was. Um, but that gave me a real false sense of, of what it's going to be like at, at professional rugby. And at 18 years old, I was debuting on the wing and I'm used to scoring, you know, a try or setting up a try game. And um, my, my, I guess my ego took a big hit because, in all honesty, I didn't have a, a great game and it was sort of a, a welcome to super rugby Um and this is what it's all about. Yeah, it's so cool that you can look back and reflect on that now and say, yeah, maybe there was that inflated ego and it's probably a very big reality check when you've got the best players in the world putting it on you every game and that, that sort of pressure must be intense. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I was I was very naive going into my debut, um, but but after it, um, it was sort of a, I swear, it was sort of a shock, and I realised uh, what it was all about. And I guess going through that whole year, and probably the next couple of years, um, I realised how much hard work you have to put in um, to to be one of the top players. And and like you said before, you also realise that everyone's as talented as you, if not more talented. Yeah, and so that's that hard work and work ethic that gets you to those places you want to be. And talent only gets you so far. And obviously, your work ethic is second to none if you can get to be playing for the All Blacks, the best team of all time. It's such a testament to the sort of player you are. Do you think having that, a bit of a reality check when you first got to Super Rugby helped you regain motivation to start lifting your game and improving your game so you could get back to being the best in the division you're in? Yeah, it was, it was probably, like, at the time, it, it really sucked. And I this will probably just go into the mental health side of things, um, and this is why I'm, I'm such a big advocate for it now. But after that, that debut, um, I went to a pretty dark place. You know, I was 18 years old. I had all these expectations on myself. Um, and obviously, I didn't meet them. Um, and it probably took me a good year to regain confidence in my ability as a rugby player. That's literally what one game did to me. Um, so I guess it made me have to reassess of, like, my, my values and um, I guess and how I, I judge myself as a person and um, you know those next two years was massive for me. Um, I realised that rugby was how I judged myself as a person so my, my performances were I guess attached to my personality um, and that's it's pretty dangerous when um, you do that because I guess through professional sport, you ride highs and lows all the time. Um, and if you think you're a bad person after a bad performance, um, it's pretty tough. And, and vice versa, if you think you're the man after a good performance, um, it's, it's just not a good way to live. So, you know, I went through a pretty a pretty stuff, a tough stage um, to the point where I lost my love for rugby. Um, I, was, I was ready to sort of give it up, um, go be a tradie and, enjoy being down at the pub every Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Um, but I, I stuck at it and, you know, I wouldn't change it for the world going through, you know, that year of that probably couple years of, of tough times because it's now it's set me up um, 
to be a lot stronger and a lot more aware of, of how things are. Yeah, for sure. Having that capacity to reflect and understand that. Was there a, a point or a turning point where you went, you know what, my mindset needs to change or was it something that you could gradually happened? The point was probably for me, it was, it was a dark, you know, a dark place um, where, you know, I, I really, really struggled. Um, I, I felt burnt out. I wasn't enjoying my rugby. I, I developed like quite bad anxiety um, on the field. Um, I got actually really like scared of going out there and performing. Um, so that was a point where I was like, well, there's two ways about this. I've either got to do something about how my mind's operating or I've just got to give it up because I can't live this way. Um, and I guess when I got to that point, that's when I started making those changes. I started being vulnerable. I didn't, I didn't talk to anyone before that. I'd keep it within myself. If you probably talk to those people between my age of 18 and 20, they would have had no idea how I felt inside because I, I wasn't a person to share things. Um, but once I started learning um, how important it is to open up, be vulnerable, it just it changed my life and it, it changed me as a footy player. Um, and and that's that was my biggest learning. Yeah, it's so powerful and I love the, I don't know if you've heard of Brené Brown and she talks about courage is vulnerability and you can't have one without the other and being a top level athlete, especially someone who's got the consequences of running at big blokes on the footy field, courage does come with vulnerability and it can come in so many different shapes and sizes and it's so beautiful that you found that and what sort of things when you were, like that 18 to 20 is that real development stage and that, like you said, I felt the exact same way when I was that age in surfing. I had quite a bit of ego. I had transitioned out of my junior career into the big leagues and you kind of go whoa all right life's a bit different and it's probably is the hardest time to ask for help because in I mean this is how I felt in my head I did have everything going for me and I shouldn't be feeling this I guess weakness and not having the confidence that I felt like I should have and I had all my friends and family and support around me like everything was going right but yeah it's such a scary place to get to and it's so awesome that you had that ability to reflect and realize that yeah I do need to ask for help and what sort of support system was there much structure and support in your sporting organization through rugby when it came to sports psychologists and whatnot around that area yeah when I well I st- first started professional rugby when I was uh, well, obviously 18 that was 2014 um, and probably around that time there wasn't a lot of a lot of help you know, it's probably been in the last three, four years where there's been a massive shift on the importance of, you know, mental well-being um, and and opening up. So at, at the time, you know, it was well, it wasn't the thing to go and talk to someone. Mm. Yes, there was the resources around us, but did I felt did I feel encouraged um, to go do that? No, not at all. Um, so I sort of just kept it to myself, and you know, in New Zealand there's a huge problem in society as, as men, we keep things in and I'm sure it's the same over there in Aussie. Um, but yeah, I just, at the time I, I just felt between 18 and 20, um, obviously I was new. I wanted to, I wanted to fit in. I didn't want to people to think I was different or I couldn't handle it. Um, so yeah, in, in all honesty, how I felt, um, I probably didn't feel as though, I had a lot of support. 
Um, but but if I if I but if I wanted to seek if I wanted to seek their help, I could have got it. But the biggest thing is is that you have to go and get it. And I see what I have now as tools. So like a tool is being vulnerable, being open and stuff like that. But at, at that time I didn't have those tools in my toolbox. Um, and there, there was a lot of other factors that made me keep it within myself. Yeah, and, and thank you so much for sharing that because I know it's people like yourself and myself and people who are willing to have those tough conversations and willing to share that inspire so many others. So thank you for sharing that. And I know so many people listening get so much inspiration from people like yourself. So you should be really proud of that. Let's jump into the All Blacks career. Tell me about the day you found out you're going to be an All Black. That must have been the Sure, it's got to be the best day of your life, being a Kiwi, knowing how important the All Blacks are to your guys' country. What was the day like you found out you're going to be an All Black? Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Actually, my sort of um, journey into All Blacks was a little bit different. So it wasn't like the squad got named and I was in there. I, was, um, I actually came in as injury cover and then there was a couple more injuries and then I got my shot. So when I, when I, so I got pretty much brought into the squad late. So initially, the, the big hype around the squad announcement, I missed. Um, and then probably three, four weeks down the track, I got named in the squad. And when I got named in the squad, I, I think then I realised like the impact the All Blacks have um, in New Zealand. And it was, it was such a special feeling to have so many people reach out to me. I rang mum and dad and, and they cried and stuff like that. Um, and yeah, I guess like you know, I've been dreaming. Well, I dreamt of it as a since I was four years old. You know, as long as I can remember to be an All Black, I never thought it would happen, um, but it did. You know, I I literally thought you had to be Superman to be an All Black. Um, and when I became an All Black, I you know I realised that you know anyone anyone can do it if you're willing to work hard. Man, I'm getting goosebumps just hearing you talk about that. It's, it's I mean, I love professional sport more than anything. I'm the biggest sports fan and the All Blacks are known globally as the best sport team of all time. What sort of pressure does that add to, to coming into a team like that? Yeah, it's um, the, the whole, I guess, like you envision when you, before you go into the All Blacks, you envision that pressure because you know the standard mm. um, that they have to live up to. And, and I think that's how you think it's going to be within the environment. But when I walked into the All Blacks environment, they were, you know, like so caring. They got around me, supported me. Um. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Things were pretty relaxed. Obviously, they had a standard. Um, but there was just there's just so many factors that I guess in a way I think they realise the pressure that is on the All Blacks team, but they sort of like peel the pressure back within the team. So, you know, if you're outside of the team, you probably feel more pressure than if you're in it because they're so good at not 
not getting caught up in the pressure of the, I guess, external factors. And internally, we just keep it to ourselves and, and we know what works and we know what we need to do. And internally, we don't actually feel the pressure, the pressure as much. Yeah, it's really cool. And like the, the first word that comes to mind when I think of All Blacks is discipline. What do you think makes the All Blacks so successful over the last two decades, three decades? Um, yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you can't sell state secrets here, huh? There's honestly, <laughs> there's honestly no, no secret like to it. Um, but I do think within New Zealand, you know, I'm a big believer that your like, foundation's got to be good. So obviously the All Blacks are at the top, but we have Mitre 10 Cup, which is your provincial, or even club rugby, then provincial, then super, then All Blacks. So I guess you've got a good system that eventually the best players make it up to the top, and they've been through good systems the whole way. Um, and, and just on that, like, it's probably the people within the environment. And I'm not talking about the players, but I'm talking about the, the coaches, the physios, trainers, even our bus driver, um, bloody managers, like everything's world class. Everyone just does their job. And it's just the, it's a great organisation. Like if I can put it away, like everyone at, at some point has to turn the wheel and, and they do, they do their bit. They don't try to do too much. They don't do, do too less. They just do their job to a world-class class standard, and that's what drives us. Yeah, it's so awesome, and I can see that every time I watch you guys play and watch you guys flog my Aussie Wallabies. <laughs> I, can, um, I can just see the world-class and the, way, the dedication that you guys have to being world-class, and unless you – like, you guys aren't going out there to win. You guys are going out there to embarrass teams, and that's the testament to, like you said, your guys' coaching staff and the system that you guys have come up through. It makes it – makes it so good to watch <laughs> but t- tell me a little bit about the average week when you're touring with the all blacks yeah so um i guess yeah a monday's like a, a light day well it's a big gym day so it's a, it's a full body um and then that then after that we'll have our review um and i guess depending on how things went like reviews are, are always very honest um and the best thing i like about it as well is you know we could have beating a team by 40 points, but we always find things to work on. Mm. Um, I guess we're, we're never satisfied and we're always trying to get better. Um, and then the Arvo, we sort of look at next week, so we have clarity, um, walk through what we're going to go through for the next week. Tuesday's a big on-grass training day uh, in the morning, um, and that's probably like at 70 to 80%, uh, whereas we put clarity into, I guess, into a bit of speed. Um, in the Arvo, we do a gym, and that's like individualised to ourselves. Um, and then one, one thing we do on Tuesday night, which I think's you know a massive part of us, is we have club rooms. So we all put on our, our club jerseys. So like the first club we played for, we come together. We have like a, a club captain. He runs the whole thing, and we have a few beers, um, plenty of laughs, and then go out to dinner as a team and. I guess in amongst all the all the pressure, that sort of releases it because I guess you come back to your roots and you have a beer with your mate um, and you sort of just get to forget about everything that's going on. Wednesday, day off, normally play golf. Um, Thursdays, in, uh, in the morning, it's a power session and I, cho- I call the, the Arvos like a dress rehearsal. 
Um, so we were going at full speed for about an, about 40 minutes, running through our moves fast. Friday's a, a light jog through, so the captain's run. Um, and, then, and then Saturday we play. Um, so that, that's a little bit of a, a structure to the week. And I feel like for you guys as well, because you play Chiefs all year round and then uh, international rugby is like another little tour, yeah? How many games does the All Blacks play a season? Yeah, it's, it's 14 games. Um, so it's, it's quite a few because I guess at two rugby we play, well, now it's all changed, but normally you play about 16 and then finals. So, like, it's, it's a few, just a few less than, than what you do with, with super rugby. Um, whereas I think in the in league, they obviously the bulk of their season's with mm. their um, franchise or their NRL team and then there's a little window for international. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a lot different. How much time do you guys who do have the honour to play for the All Blacks get off in between international rugby season and then back into super rugby season? Yeah, we normally we get December, January off. Um, so you're pretty much like we're ten months on, like two months off. But you you probably have a good one month where you know you have it off, and then the one month before you go back, you're, you're doing a bit of training. Yeah, that's what I, I've heard. That I've heard that month before seasons, the pre seasons, the hardest training because that's when you don't get those kind of chill days after playing the playing your game. Yeah, yeah. So we like we'll have about. We're pretty lucky because we only have about three weeks of pre-season before we go back into season, whereas the other boys have about nine weeks of it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a bit of a hard one. 2019 World Cup semi-final against England. What sort of feelings as coming from New Zealand, you guys are the hot favourites and you guys have all that pressure, not pressure, but all that pride in your country behind you. How, what, are, what sort of feelings go through your head after losing that semi-final? Yeah, obviously, um, you, you're gutted. You're, um, I guess, yeah, you're gutted. You're shattered. In a way, you're you're embarrassed. Um, I guess we had the expectation behind us, and we didn't reach it. Um, but at the same time, like I've done so much work on, I guess, my individual mental health. Um, and I did quite a lot of it at the World Cup with, with Adi. Um, and I felt all those emotions, you know. I felt, as, as we should, like we felt disappointed. Mm. We felt we let the country down, felt embarrassed. But at the same time, I had the tools to manage that. Um, and I remember, well, this is probably a pivotal moment for me to know that I've grown in that space. And it was the next day and we had an all-black tour group staying in our hotel. Um, and there would have been about 50 of them standing in, in the foyer and I was going to breakfast with my parents. Um, and I chucked my hoodie up because I didn't want them to see me. And just before I went to walk through them, I put it down and I, I, um, I like, you know, stood up, um, held my, my chin up and I just walked through them with, with my head held high. And, you know, I thought, you know, I've done all this work with, with the mental health and you now I feel embarrassed but that shouldn't change who I am. Um, you know, I've, I know these people would be disappointed, but, you know, I'm, I'm still Anton and obviously it sucked what happened the night before, but um, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, hell yeah, that's such a special thing and thanks for sharing that. It's re- really cool and you should be really proud of that because t- it does take a lot for an athlete 
to be able to take those losses on the chin. At the end of the day, we're, we're humans. You're just going out there doing your absolute best. So when you get those haters, it's it's stupid. It's the dumbest thing ever, but it happens. With rugby, is it, do you find it really hard to switch off when it comes to um, switching off from rugby? Like you said, you only get two months off. What sort of things do you do and what sort of techniques do you use when it comes to those losses? Like you said, just then you had a few more techniques going into the World Cup. What sort of things do you do that help you with that? Um, yeah, like sort of switching off for me now is, is a lot easier. Um, when I first come into professional rugby, my mind was taking over a lot and worrying a lot. And I think, you know, just in time, you, you sort of relax and you find your process um, and you realise what's required. Uh, I love playing golf. Um, I actually, I do like, I do some like meditation, visualization to get away, uh, get away from it. Actually, last year at the World Cup, I did a lot of Wim Hof stuff. Oh, I love Wim Hof. Yeah, he's he's awesome, and um, I guess you know from someone that suffered from anxiety in the past, it, it actually it really helped, um, and it sort of chilled me out a lot. So hopefully, over this summer, I, I do some more of that ice stuff again, because um, yeah, I love it and. I guess, you know, you have that just going, uh, doing a little spear on the, on the ice stuff. We've got a, a flight and fright um, mechanism. You know, that's how we react to things. But, you know, getting into really cold ice up to your neck puts you in that situation. Um, and and once, you, once you learn to get through that and you, and you control the breath, it just does, it's done wonders for me, eh? So, I, and I know it's not for everyone, but, um, I'll definitely recommend to try it. Yeah, I love that. So anyone listening, that's Wim Hof. He's um, the ice shaman, they call him. He's all about – he's crazy. He's all about – he's set all the world record. Yeah, he, he gets under ice water and there's all these different health benefits for him. That's what Anton was talking about. And I think the main one is just – I don't know if you've seen the Yes Theory video where they went and did stuff with Wim Hof. If you haven't, you should go watch it. It's like a little 40-minute documentary. Have you seen it? I don't know if I've seen that. You should, I'll, I'll send you the link after this. It's – um. It's really cool and it's their whole thing's about seeking discomfort and showing what the mind is capable of doing and just I feel like if you go out there and look for stuff, you can find so many inf- so much information about ways to basically hack your brain and become a better person and I know it's something important to you. What sort of books and TED Talks would you recommend and what sort of things have you been inspired by over the last couple of years to have those techniques to overcome those difficult times in life? Oh, a big book for me was The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. Um, mm-hmm. I sort of at the time, you know, I cared, you know, I cared too much about what people thought of me. So it was quite timely when, when I read that book. Um, but you, you spoke about her before, Brené Brown. Um, I just absolutely love her books and love her TED Talks and what, what she's about. Um, I just, I love the word vulnerability and it's really helped me grow as a person because as you said before, you can't, you can't um, be courageous if you're not vulnerable. So every every situation I put myself into where people will see that as courage, I just think be vulnerable. And I just like that as a better way to think about things because it, it, for me, it wipes out the, the fear of failure when I just think be vulnerable because it just it gives me confidence to go into that situation um, and not worry about probably the biggest factor to why people don't do things and that's the fear of failure. Mm, it's such a powerful thing and, it, and it's a really hard thing to overcome and, it, and it's so awesome that you've um, 
come to terms with that. And it seems like you're in such a good space mentally. And I bet you inspire a lot of your teammates. So you should be really proud of that. Speaking of rugby, you touched on a little bit that it's definitely changed a bit, but do you feel the culture in rugby union has still got that toxic masculinity kind of side to it? Or do you think it's starting to shift a little bit to being more open with mental health and supporting the players through those times? Because it is such a high pressure environment and there is going to be those difficult times. Um, Oh, I think, you know, we're making good shifts, but we can um, still, you know, go a long way. Um, You know, I, I think, you know, for, for players that have experienced um, tough times or will go out there and seek information and, and start building their toolbox. They understand it, but there's other players out there that, and I, I don't blame them. You know, you can. I believe in you can only see what you've seen. Um, so you know, I talk about it with some other players, and and like it doesn't hurt me in any way. But like you know, they're not sort of about that, or, or some coaches um, or, or people within an environment. Um, but I, I think you know, the more we talk about it, and more the more people understand the importance of it that's when we'll make really good shifts. And, you know, in New Zealand, um, the typical male um, is, is sort of, you, you grow up in a way to think, you know, you've got to be tough, um, you can't show weakness. And so that's your typical New Zealand male, but your typical New Zealand male that plays rugby, um, that's probably, you know, time times by five because now you're the sky in the spotlight and, and you don't show weakness. And I think that's why, you know, a few of us in amongst the All Blacks uh, are going hard in the mental health space to show that, look, we can be these big tough guys on the field, but, you know, emotionally we go through tough times and and we know the importance of opening up. Yeah, and it's it, like the more and more I think about it, it's so special that you and a few of the boys around you are getting involved in the air and, and it's I'm so stoked to have you on the podcast because that's what it's all about. It's about trying to use your profile and use the amazing platform that you have being, especially like you said, in New Zealand, rugby is everything. And the rugby players are meant to be these big macho strong men, which you're not, not a strong man by talking about your feelings and being open. You're just being honest and vulnerable. Cause I feel like 90% of guys go through the same stuff, but only 30% of us might have the capacity and the, vulnerability to be able to share it so the more that we can have these conversations and that more the people like you and podcasts like this can show that people of your stature can be open about it. it's it's so inspiring and i'm so stoked to have you on here uh, cheers brother it's a, it's a pleasure to be on it so my last question that i always ask everyone is what does being a good human mean to anton lynnett brown Jeez, i'm so glad you asked that question because you know i love the name uh, a good human um and when i when I, I guess, like when I look at things and look at people, I, I just see them like as human beings, and I guess that's how I want to be perceived, like in society, and that's how I want people to know that, like us, like athletes are or, or celebrities are. At the end of the day, they're doing the great things um, in the limelight, but at the end of the day, they're only human. Um, and a good human to me just just holds you know good values. Um, they're consistent. Um, they have, they have good manners, but they also they make mistakes. You know, and I think that's where like society gets things wrong. Is mm-hmm. that you know we sort of create this perception of perfection, 
And I see, I'm not a big fan of when a rugby player makes a mistake or a celebrity makes a mistake and that they sort of, you know, they do, they do apologise and they, they're hugely scrutinised, but but they also they also don't let the public know that these people are just human, you know, and they you you've made those mistakes as well, and and they make mistakes too because you know I, I really want you know society to realise that you know if if uh, if the people we look up to if our role models can make mistakes then when they make a mistake that's alright. But I think what they're really seeing at the moment is these perceived perfect people who they look up to, where and then they make a mistake and they're like, "Oh, like, I'm never going to be like that person because I've I've made a mistake." But I make mistakes all the time, you know. No one's perfect, and that's I guess that's what I'd love to see in society, and that's how I'd like to see it grow, is is to realise that we are all human beings. Uh, we are all good human beings. And it's okay to make mistakes, hold good values, be consistent. Life's not perfect and everything's okay. <laughs> Mate, that is so beautifully put. Normally every guest gets tongue-tied with that and it just shows the sort of person you are, how sure you are of what sort of values you hold. And, mate, I'm so stoked to have this chat and it's it's been nice to just catch up. Yeah, 100%, bro. Thanks again for being on the podcast, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, yeah, thanks to everybody who's online listening. Cheers, brother. Good Humans was presented by me, Cooper Chapman. Producer, Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.